Welcome to Mile High Magazine with your hosts, Adam Morgan, Murphy Houston, and Melissa Moore. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping Colorado, presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Now, here's your host, Adam Morgan. Americans generally have two principal directions for fashioning their life path, to either plan in detail all steps or to go where the winds of life take them. For Dr. Evie Dennis, she did some of both. She started with a plan while at the same time raising her sail to tack with the winds of life. Well, she wanted me to support her and my support of her and my involvement on what I wanted her to see and that do led me from one thing to the other. The Colorado Women's Hall of Fame succinctly describes her as a leader, innovator, and pioneering advocate to enhance opportunities for all people in the areas of education, Olympic sports, and amateur athletics. You need to say if you're interested in something, you get involved in how it operates and what you can do to become a part of that if that's what you want to do. Uh, and that's why I, that's how I got in it. The life journey for Dr. Evie Dennis took her from being a researcher at the Children's Asthma Research Institute at the Jewish National Home for Asthmatic Children to, in 1990, becoming the first woman and African-American superintendent of Denver Public Schools, while along the way, becoming the first woman vice president of the United States Olympic Committee. She is a true, real-deal Colorado history maker. For Women's History Month, Dr. Evie Dennis shares a few moments with us on this edition. I guess, Ms. Dennis, what changes have you seen in education that, are, that say that we're going in the right direction and our kids may be getting stronger or more educated? But there, I know some change still needs to be, but there's got to be some things you're seeing that says, yes, I've always wanted that to happen, and, and the kids are going to be better off for it. The biggest change that we need or that I think I am seeing uh perhaps happening is the support of parents of what goes on in the schools. you got to have that two-way kind of stuff here in order to have that child be successful. How can parents better prepare themselves to help their, their youth in schools? Because a lot of parents, I know some friends I went to school with, you know, we all graduated with our C-minus averages, and because we got older doesn't mean we got smarter. And now we have kids, and so we need to do something about that. How can parents better prepare themselves to be stronger assets for their youth in school? That's a big question. I guess if I knew the answer to that, I'd get the Nobel Prize. But uh, parents need to communicate with staff with what their children are doing. They need to be seen in the schools as supportive of their parents. Uh, I mean, of their children, uh, and they need to make certain that that child is behaving and doing what that child should be doing in school. And I think if you get those two things together, you have no problem. There has always been not a conflict but a debate in America that education across America should be consistent instead of a patchwork quilt that we're having. I think the Obama administration tried to do common core standards and that kind of thing so that uh, kids across America, if I get it right, would at least have some type of education level that correlated together. Are you seeing 
that maybe that needs to happen so that an education in Colorado is as good as an education in Iowa, as good as an education in, in Georgia, as good as an education in California? I think that makes sense. But how you have it happen is the big question. Uh, I don't have wisdom enough to tell you how we could get that done in Colorado, I mean in California and Florida and Georgia, uh, but we ought to have a common core that's good for all children, not just a few. Is that something you looked at when you were superintendent, what was happening in other school districts across the country so that you could keep uh, DPS uh, up there with everyone else regarding what they are learning and how they're doing it? I think there were a lot of things, places I looked at that I didn't want DPS to <laughs> emulate. Yeah. But there were a few, I think, around the country that I thought we can do the same thing they're doing and we can provide for children as they are providing for, but we've got to make some changes. Yeah. And how you do that is the big question. What changes need to be made now? Um, they've been experimenting with shifting the school days back and forth and uh, that kind of thing. And I, I think for those of us who are non-educators, I think the thing that caught my eye was they weren't teaching cursive writing <laughs> anymore. And so I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, my grandson is not going to learn how to, how, how to write <laughs> at all. But uh, what basics do we need to go back to? I create uh, teaching cursive. Right. I, I, I guess I did know that, but I, I don't agree with it. I think we need to be able to write legibly so everybody can read what you've done. And uh, I don't know how we get back to that. I don't know how we left that or why we left it. I have no idea. But I think we ought to be there. you got to print everything. You don't print your name to sign your check. You need to be able to sign that check and sign it so that somebody can read it. But I think we ought to teach cursive. But maybe I'm off the old school. One of her greatest challenges as Denver Public Schools superintendent was implementing and monitoring the court-ordered desegregation of the district. For teachers, parents, students, and community leaders, this was a divisive period. The complicated strategy incorporated increased access to bilingual education, the reallocation of resources for improvement of school facilities, and the key steps necessary to hire more diverse staff and educators of color. This was overshadowed by busing, which became the symbol of the most controversial aspect of the desegregation strategy. The mission was initially accomplished. Although DPS has slowly transitioned to a limited resegregated district in a somewhat different manner some 15 years, following Dr. Dennis' retirement. As far as educators, young people that are going to college that are thinking about education and want to go into it, what one thing would you, a recommendation you would give to them that they should think about as to why they should do it and, and why it's very valuable that they become an educator? I think they need to think about what they want children to do, what they want them to learn and how they want them to learn. And that's a big, a big task. Uh, they need to be able to communicate with parents, which is what I am hearing is becoming rare, more rare than, than, than it should be. Uh, because you need that parental support in order to, 
to make certain children are doing what they need to do and uh, are able to learn what they need to be learning because they know that I'm there. The teachers are in sync with the parents, and you can't divide us. We've got to be together, and you need to know that, son. That's for sure. How about colleges? What should colleges, uh, teachers' colleges or schools of education, what do colleges need to do to better prepare their students to become educators? You just mentioned um, teachers need to know that they they need to better communicate with parents. Is that a class or something that they could do or bring in consultants to help them with that so that they have the skills? need to send them out to the schools more, get them some on-site training, let them see what it's like to live through eight hours with 32 little wigglers in the room, how you deal with this. They need to be out there seeing that. Are you feeling optimistic about education in America um, becoming better, reaching more people, and, uh, and it's going to get there is a very good thing to do and that the country needs it even with automation growing. We still need to have an, an educated populace. I, I, I feel very strongly about that, that it should be. We've got to have that kind of cooperation and that kind of linkage in order to get to where we need to go with children. And you've seen a lot of generations, and you haven't seen a lot of generations, but you've seen a lot of different parental eras, I call them, to come through, you know, the World War II bunch, the baby boomers, our kids, you know, the Xers, and um, everybody's had a different way of doing it. So what could we do as grandparents to uh, help our sons and daughters so they can better help their kids that are in school right now because I have friends that say, well, I got a good education, so they ought to have one too. Well, can you help them? And they go, well, I don't know how to do that. I, I find that hard to answer because I can't fathom that you have people like that. That surprises me. You've got to take care of your children. Some of us run around believing in the Bible, but if they read the Bible like they should, they will see that that is there. You think you're going to heaven if you don't, <laughs> don't do what you need to do as it relates there. So I just, I don't know. I, I, I what do you think we ought to do to get more men involved with education? Let them spend nine months getting the children up and getting them to school and working with the teachers as they should be doing instead of blaming it all and pulling them off on somebody else to do this. And they would see what a task teachers have and what educators have and trying to educate their youngsters. They need to be there to support that child as well as the mother. Um, final question on education. It seems as if we I have to ask about textbooks because we have to go do textbook reading. When parents are looking at textbooks, a lot of them are driven by what California wants or what Texas wants. Um, but when parents are reading those textbooks, well, first, should they go continue to go read them? And two, what are they looking for that the kids should learn that should be in those books? Because it seems as if some state school boards are driving what everybody else is reading across, across the country. we got to bring the textbooks into the electronic age right now. 
Uh, I don't say you've got to rewrite all the textbooks. That's an impossible task, but somehow you've got to be able to supplement that rather than using the textbooks from the 1980s and 1950s and on and on. I did say the final education question, but one more popped there in my, my head. Is there one thing that you would like to see education doing, a direction it needs to still go from the time that you were a superintendent to now what they, uh, they still need to be doing to make uh, education great in America? You got to bring it into the the age we live. Uh, not that we're going to send them all to the moon, but we we've got that kind of advancement in where we are in this country, well, in the world, and we need to be able to train and bring educate kids to live in a society that's that's dominated by that. And it will require a lot of, I think, different methods to get this done. One of the things I think, I don't know, I've been away from the classroom so long that uh, I don't know what they're doing in in classes at this point, but you've got to think of the age we're living in and see if we're providing the kinds of education that kids need to grow up and be successful. In the 1990s, the Colorado Flyers Track Club was one of the most active youth track organizations in America. Pia, the daughter of Evie Dennis, was an active, excelling team member of that club. Supporting her doctor, Dr. Evie Dennis became involved with track and field athletics on its organizational side. Although her involvement began in-state, it quickly led to national and international levels of sports governance. She organized the first national meeting of track and field leaders, which today is known as USA Track and Field. She was one of the leading voices for women advocating the Title IX law that provides equal access to sports for girls and women in America. Becoming the first woman serving on the United States Olympic Committee Executive Committee in the summer of 1988, she was the first woman to head a U.S. team delegation to an Olympic Games in Seoul, South Korea. A couple of days following our conversation, at the age of 94, she was scheduled to fly off for a USOC governing bodies council meeting. In switching gears, what what was the attraction for you to become involved in the Olympic movement? Were you an athlete when you were in school? One attraction that I still have that I have to deal with, Pia. That's what brought me into this. She came home one day and said, Mom, I want to run track. I said, go away. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't bother me. Well, being a persistent child that she was and still is, uh, I finally said, tell that coach to come and talk to me. So he did. And we got together. We got to talking, and we formed a little track club called the Denver All-Stars. And from that, it led from one thing to the other to where I became vice president of the U.S. Olympic Committee. Grew from one thing to the other. I I know you're saying one thing to to the other, but from high school, local athletics to the Olympics, that's that's an involvement jump like, oh, I really like this. I want to be be a part. Give me some more. That's for sure. Somebody that kept pushing me to be a part of that is what I'm saying. That's Pia. And she wanted to do this, and whatever she was wanting to do, I was supportive of that as long as it was right, the right thing to do. So she wanted you to become involved with the 
Olympic move, movement then? Well, she wanted me to support her and my support of her and my involvement on what I wanted her to see and to do led me from one thing to the other. I saw the need at the Olympic level to have an input from somebody like me because it wasn't there. I was about to ask you that. In both ways. Probably there when you walked in the room, the only people of color they had seen were on the track or in the venues, but not in administration at all. Administration, no. How was your presence received? Uh, overall, I would say good. But I had some pitfalls, you know, some people who didn't think I was doing what needed, and that's true in any, any way you go. But I think overall it was okay. Now, you went to the Olympic Games, and at the Olympic Games you were looking after the athletes or helping with, with that for their other needs that they may have that were off the track or out of the performance venue? At my beginning level, yes, I was helping with the athletes and what they were doing as, as a staff person. Uh, and then I became involved more in the governance and the administrative level because I saw the need there and I thought, okay, I think I can do that. So, What was the most exciting Olympics for you? Most exciting Olympics for me? Hmm. That's hard saying. I had, I guess Tokyo was good. Russia was very interesting. Very good. I mean, something that I would not have anticipated, but that was an interesting assignment. So, I'm I'm, I'm curious there. What 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 made it so much fun, or or the group of athletes there, or the challenges there? The challenges there of being in a Russian country, being who who I am and was and at my level it was kind of odd to them for the USA to have somebody like me as a leader of a team and that kind of thing but overall it was a good experience. Um, do you think today's athletes or should I say contrast today's athletes when against the ones when you started are, are the athletes better? Do they need more support when they're going to Olympic Games than then? Or uh, uh, how are they there? Someone's still afraid to be away from home, and, and you have to make sure that they're okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm so far removed from that that I don't know how they're feeling, but it seems like they all seem to be happy when they're doing this, so things must be okay. I don't see a change in where the athletes wouldn't be happy with what's going on. So when you went to an Olympics, what's the first thing you had to do then? Uh, make sure all the housing was good or make sure all, all their gear arrived or what? First thing we had to do is get it all ready here at this level, at home. You've got to pack up the clothes. You've got to get everything ready. You've got to get them immunized. You've got to do all those kinds of things uh, to get them ready to, to travel to the games. And then you've got to, got to be awake. 24 7. 24 7? Yes. I mean, you nap in between, but I'm, when I say awake, you're aware of what's going on because you're dealing with a bunch of athletes, male and female, and you've got them away from their parents and all kinds of things going on, and you want to make certain you bring them back home like you took them. And uh, you have to make certain your staff is on board and making sure that that's happening uh, because ultimately, 
the person who was going to be blamed for anything happening at that point would have been Evie. Yeah. And you don't want that to happen. So. And, and I think what a lot of people forget about is that they say these are world-class athletes. They should know how to behave. They should know how to do all this stuff. But at the same time, they're teenagers. Worst in the world because they think they have arrived and I am important and I am yeah. smart and I know all the things. So <laughs> you got problems that you have to really stay on top of. Did you have curfews and stuff that had to be enforced? Yeah, I, I was not going to be blamed for taking a bunch of athletes uh, to a games and bringing two or three of them back having babies. I was not going to be a part of that. So we had curfews and we had watch it, watch people and 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 the whole thing to make certain yeah, yeah. that that didn't happen. Didn't you have some athletes that traveled alone there on their own to get there? Meaning, I, I guess most of us think that everybody gets on a United 747 and the whole team goes at once, but there's some athletes that are performing elsewhere in the world and they show up just about the time their, their events are scheduled. But, but who's with that athlete that's performing around wherever they are in the world to make certain they get on the plane and somebody's at the plane to meet them when they get there? So you got that kind of communication going. So. You had to have a staff that was on their toes and ready to jump when necessary. Now, did you go over before the athletes arrived then to uh, prepare for their arrival the same way you were saying you had to uh, prepare to, to get all the gear and get them ready to go from the States? Did you go ahead of their arrival to make sure stuff was, stuff yes. was there? Yes, you had to be there to make certain things were in order. And, uh, all the cars were here to pick them up. The beds were ready. And so the, the darn moms one place and and the whole bit. The, the what the Don Wands or the moms? Darm, dormitory moms. moms. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you had moms for the dorms too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of some of the athletes that you met and you saw perform, are there a few that make you want to smile and say, "I'm glad I saw them do that," or "That's a quality person. I'm glad that I met them." I think there are a lot of them, yeah. a lot of them still around. I had one that that uh, was, what was she, 15, 16 years old, Mary Decker Chain, Mary Decker, because she was 15 when she was going, we were in uh, uh, Yugoslavia when she was competing. I kept her in the dorm, I served that I sent her back home like I got her, <laughs> you know. So you had to deal with those kinds of things and be certain that, that uh, you had a staff that was, was also alert and aware, uh, that you didn't have dorm, uh, a, a dormitory room hoppings. And so, you know, you had to, to make certain you were prepared for that. And you also... It's not all fun and games. And you also had to prepare to... Uh to teach them how to uh, interface with athletes from other countries who may have had different standards. You choose your staff before you go there. And and you make certain you've got a staff that's capable and, and ready and able to do this. I had to send home one person. And you might know that name. It's Carl Lewis. The winner of nine Olympic gold medals and one silver, Carl Lewis is one of America's most celebrated Olympic athletes. A dominant sprinter and long jumper, comparisons were made between Carl Lewis and the legendary Jesse Owens. 
At the same time, Carl had developed a perceived or misperceived public perception of sometimes being a little too self-congratulatory and egotistical until one day at the Olympics, Carl Lewis met Evie Dennis. Carl Lewis was a world-class sprinter, uh, and uh, we were in China. And Carl decided that he wasn't going to run. We, we were in the stadium. They're calling Carl Lewis to come to the starting line. No Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis didn't show up, and here I am. What in the world is going on? Where is he? Well, after it was all over, I said, Carl, what happened? How come you didn't run? Well, I'm sick. I said, you're sick? What's the matter? Well, I'm sick. I said, okay, sick athletes need to go home. So I sent him home. <laughs> yeah. I sent him home because he was sitting in the athletes saying, well, he can get away with this. We can't do that. He can get away with this. I said, Carl, you're going home. You're sick. What is the one thing you might recommend to uh, parents who have athletes that are moving up to or they think they can perform at that level and at that scale? How does the what things should a parent be doing as well to prepare them for not only that level, but how to interface with others when they're away from the country and to do the right thing when they're not at home? I think they should be prepared to do the right thing at home that would, would be, carry over into what they're doing wherever they are in the world. Because right is right in China as it is in the United States. And so you need to prepare the athlete or need to prepare them on how they carry themselves, how they deport themselves, how you would expect them to do when they're at home because they're in your care. And you need to bring them back home the way you got them. And so you got to make certain that they understand that. I don't have no night hopping from one room to the other. No, they ain't happening on my watch, you know. So you have you sit them down and here's what happened. And I said, and they... After after I sent Carl home, the word got around, if you go on, ever on a trip with her, don't play. Yeah. Don't play with her because she'll send you home. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's the way you have to deal with them. Sure. I mean, you be, you be firm with them, you love them, and you say, I hope you win a gold medal, but hey, no hanky-panky on my watch. Um, I'm sure you got a lot of questions for the athletes in a lot of places about a lot of stuff. Do you remember one or two? unique things that they ask about like what you're asking me about that <laughs> what is this you had to have some of those there that just surprised you I, I i can't i can't say i think of any because at at the level that i was functioning i didn't have to deal with that i had a staff that dealt, dealt with those kinds of things if somebody wanted to become a part of that administrative staff what routes should they take? Should they work in public schools, in sports administration, uh, or just go to the Olympic website, find a job, and apply for it? I told you how I got involved. Pia came home one day and said she wanted to run track, so I knew nothing about track. I knew nothing about the Olympic stuff other than what, I mean, I wasn't involved. But, uh, and so, I, like I said, we formed our own little track team. You need to say if you're interested in something, you get involved in how it operates and what you can do to become a part of that if that's what you want to do. Uh, and that's why I, that's how I got in it. And I said, okay, Pia, you want to run track, we've got to get in here and do something about it. So, From your time with the United States Olympic Committee, 
what is the one thing you wanted to accomplish that you can look back at and say, yeah, I was there that they're still doing? Hmm. Winning the world championships. I guess that's the most important thing, the whole Olympic Games. You come out of there, the United States is number one team in the world. And when you got back to America and you were done for that particular Olympics, was it a big sigh of relief that, oh, we got them through and I'm okay? Or did you say, oh, no, it's time to put another group together and take them? I don't know. I think the, the latter is... That's done, and we were successful. So we keep going. Just make it better if we can. Of all the countries you went to, which one was the most memorable for you? The one I loved most was Sydney, Australia. I I just loved the people, the food, and the atmosphere, and the whole thing. I enjoyed Sydney a whole lot. And if it, if I ever want to travel again and I have the option, somebody gives me a choice, Sydney will be the place I said I want to go again. How did we do when we were down there? How 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 did the team do? Team won. Did you do both summer and winter? Mm-hmm. Not often, but summer and winter. I didn't go. That's just twice yes, every yes. four years. Yeah. At the end of the day, the majority of those who achieve greatness have done so not because such was their goal, but because of the work and support they have done and contributed to others and their communities. For Dr. Evie Dennis, the desire of a mother doing what it takes to support her daughter's health led to her touching a community and the world as well. Her home is filled with awards, citations, and recognitions, not just for achieving a level of notoriety, but when reading the text on just a few, a true extended thank you for the work that she's done and the people that she's helped. We also say thank you to her as well for allowing us to share a few moments with a genuine, world-class lady. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.